0: of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost? When he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all others who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. I want to talk about the scripture that we have this morning. In terms of the cost of discipleship, the consequences of God's leading our lives, the potential of judgment or redemption. So we're going to do this as a, pulling out something from standard practices in some areas of science, music, philosophy. And Bible study. We're going to look at the bigger picture that we find in most of the scripture readings we have this morning through the smallest of our lens. And that smallest lens is the letter of Paul to Philemon. So we're going to be looking at that and then expanding from that point to talk a little bit or at least understand more about what these readings from Jeremiah and for Luke, are about. I want to do, use as a backdrop something that may at first seem strange to you, but I hope that it'll make at least some sense. If not something that you want to work with yourself, at least you might understand where it would come together in my mind. Um, weird though my mind is, uh, granted. But And the backdrop that I'm talking about is that of the pictures that we have seen this week, this destruction of the Hurricane Dorian. One of the towns that um, I read about uh, Marsh Harbor, which I understand is the fifth uh, largest city uh, in the Bahamas. The report there is that 90% of all houses, buildings and infrastructure are destroyed. 90% of the fifth largest town or city in the Bahamas. Most of you probably are aware that the death toll, at least as of last night, had gone to 43, which to us doesn't seem like such a big number. It's It's bad, it's difficult, but, you know, we've seen worse, if you want to put it that way. But the officials there, as we know, are expecting to find many more persons who have deceased are deceased so we don't know yet but regardless of that number it's almost impossible unless you have been in a hurricane or a tornado and been literally there and seen that kind of destruction I asked this morning at the early service how many of you have been in that sort of destructive tornado have anybody or hurricane okay so we have some people you probably cannot look at these pictures the same way that I and others do because we see it and it's it's unbelievable it's the only thing I can think of to say it is unbelievable but you who have been there and have walked in that path must have even deeper grief and different deeper concern The point I want to make and the reason I'm bringing that image up in our minds is that this week that has been the biggest picture of what it would be like to have your whole life change. All the things that are familiar to you in many of these places in the Bahamas just aren't there anymore. The buildings, the schools, the the hospital, the theater, whatever it is, your garden, your crop, your house, your neighbor's house, your car, your boat, not there anymore. So for these people they're going to have to reconstruct their lives. They'll have to look at what they considered to be valuable three weeks ago and look at it today And see if there are some ways through their psyche to reorient themselves to what is really valuable. I heard a young woman this morning on uh, one of the news stations say, I have my family. I have my whole family. This was a daughter talking about her mom and her sisters and her own children. They're all okay. I have my family. That's all that matters. I suspect that if you had asked the same person about what matters 3 weeks ago, she would have mentioned family, but don't you suspect there'd be a few other things that would have gotten on that list? But on that this Sunday morning, she was overwhelmed with gratitude. I have my family. She has already begun to reorient in her own being what she can live without and for her and many others to get through this crisis they will discover they can live without a lot more than they ever thought they could. Why is this important? Because Paul is asking Philemon to do something that will cost him and will cause him to have to reorient his life. Let me explain. Philemon was a disciple of Paul prior to when Paul went into jail. We don't know whether Paul's in jail and when writing this letter... If he is in Colossus, if he is in uh, Caesarea Philippi, or if he's in Rome, we're not sure. Most authorities tend to think he's in one of those places. The point is, is he knew Philemon when he was not a believer. And Paul took him in, and he, Philemon became a um, disciple of Christ. Philemon is a very wealthy man. He has a house big enough to have a church come and meet in his home. So he's got wealth. He's got a slave. I don't know if he's got other slaves, but at least he know he had one slave, and that is Onesimus. Now, the story that we have to kind of fill in is in Paul's letter, but you have to kind of pace it together. Onesimus has run away, and apparently, he took some stuff with him of value when he went. He found Paul. Now I don't understand and I could not find, some of you may have found this, but I could not find out how, to, how exactly Onesimus helped Paul in jail. Apparently jails are different then than they are now because that's not gonna happen, okay? I mean, trying to get into a t- t- jail to visit, I mean, I have to carry my diploma with me. And before I got it shrunk to this size, I had to carry my diploma like this into the jail so they could see it. Nevertheless, somehow or other, this runaway slave, a thief, was able to help Paul and had been a great source of comfort to him. But now... Paul is deciding to return Onesimus back to the household and the church of Philemon. And this is what he's talking to Philemon about. This whole letter, this whole letter is one page of the Bible. And the whole letter is just about this. And what Paul says is, I want you to take him back. I don't want you to do it because I'm ordering to do it, because I should be able to order you since I was the one that saved your life, i.e., taught you about Christ. But I want you to take him back. And if he owes you anything, I, Paul, will pay it. You've got my word on that. But I don't want you just to take him back as a slave. No, no. I want you out of love to take him back as your brother. Wealthy person in this age with a slave who's suddenly going to take this runaway slave back, not to whatever the slave quarters might have been, but to his house to bring him in, to treat him as a brother. And not only that, but to make him part of the church, make him one of the leaders of this house church where Philemon is. If Philemon decides to do this, Philemon's life is going to have to change. He is going to be ridiculed by his neighbors, his friends, most likely some of the people in that very church, since all of us know that everybody in church doesn't think the same way about things, do they? Some people say, great, Philemon, bring him on. And some people may suddenly disappear and go to the next church down the road where they don't do such crazy things. This is what he's talking about. It's like when the Jeremiah scripture, the potter, and here this vessel, this vessel of Philemon, who has done a lot of good, who is a man who loves Christ, But now he's got to make a decision. Is he going to allow, will God reform him? Will he allow God to remake his vessel, his human vessel, so that he's no longer pushing people down, but raising them up as equals? Think about that. Think about how hard that is to do. We all love pecking order. It's one of our greatest sins. We want to be better than. We want to have more than. We want to think highly of ourselves. But if Philemon does this, he's admitting to the whole congregation and to the town that this former slave is worthy of being his brother. Wow. Wow. That's what Jesus is asking for. That's why Jesus says, you must give up your possessions if you're going to become my disciples. Philemon's possession was something of his image of himself. A wealthy man who had a slave, who had status in the community. What would happen to him? What would happen to him? He wouldn't lose his house or his business or his crops like the people in the Bahamas, but he was going to have to restructure his value system, at least in regard to this one servant, slave. Paul's not making a statement, whether we'd like for him to or not, about all slavery. He's not doing that. But it's important to see in this little lens what the freeing of one slave begins to do In a whole community. When we begin, just one or two of us begin to lift people up, things begin to change. We change. And as we declare more and more people like us as our equals, things happen. Things happen. Christ wants us to allow ourselves to be malleable, just like the clay, to be willing to let God reshape us, to be willing to see people with different eyes, to be willing to constantly be aware, and I want to use that word again, constantly be aware of when we're putting someone down, and particularly when we're putting them down to raise ourselves up. My friends in Christ, we have the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ, which we open our hands to week after week after week, And we ask God to let that refashion us, reform us, to build up and renew what is broken in us so that we in turn can go out and renew others who are broken. Think about it. Think about it. We can be rebuilders. We can be the agents of freeing others if we're willing to pay the cost, to pay the price. Amen.